The message from Scripture will be from Psalm 27. This is part two. We began Psalm 27 last week. A beautiful and wonderful psalm. The reason we are here is because we just studied in 1 Samuel. We studied an incident where Saul was trying to kill David. Not surprisingly, still trying to kill David. He chased him into a cave. David is surrounded, although he's in this cave, by this spring, the spring of Engedi, And God delivered David. This psalm reminds us of that kind of deliverance. Psalm 27. I'm going to read the entire psalm. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you again, as we did this morning, asking that you would bless the preaching of your word, that our hearts would be open, that the word would go forth directly and straight and accomplish its purpose. May we hear Christ speaking to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Lord is my light and my salvation and the strength of my life. These are very familiar words. We spoke about them much last week. I just want to to highlight one more time kind of the summary of last week's message. David said that the Lord is his light. Light is illuminating. And the effect of illumination in our souls is that we embrace Christ. He becomes our salvation and once, once we are in his family, once we have salvation in the name of Christ, 
we see that there's great strength in our lives. He says that the Lord is the strength of his life. This brings courage. Note that the initiative in this whole process is God, the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And because of that, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It seems to be one of the things that David wants us to learn in this psalm is that everything starts with God in our lives and everything ends with God in our lives. The very first word of the psalm is Yahweh. What's the very last word of the psalm? Yahweh. It's a special thing. It's not accidental. He's showing us that in all the troubles of life, in all the difficulties we may see in life, God is in the front of it and God is in the back of it. He's got his hand before you and behind you and he's placed his hand upon you, as he said in Psalm 139. This is a great comfort to our souls. This is a great comfort in the midst of life. When big problems happen or small problems happen, we are comforted that God is with us. He is our light. So that's last week. This week we're going to continue in verse 4. We'll see that our one desire should be like David, should be the Lord. Not just the Lord, but to be with the Lord and to see His beauty. I think we can make those three points pretty clearly from these Next three verses. He says in verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. One thing. David's his vision, his focus is on one thing, and one thing alone. Often that's a bad thing. When you're driving, if you're focused only on the sign that's passing you, you can be so focused on that one thing that you're unsafe on the road. I've done that before, yesterday. Sometimes focusing on one thing is bad. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our Lord, when it comes to Yahweh, we should have a single-minded focus like David. This is the only thing David wants. This is the only thing that he needs To be near God. To be with God. To serve God. Reminds me of Jesus. David, of course, is a type of Christ. He shows us a little bit about what the Messiah was going to look like. And we can look back now and see that it was accurate. In John 4, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to complete his work. When Jesus was on the earth, you realize he had a focus just like that. And his focus was to please the Father. He set his face like flint throughout his life to please the Father. To walk that road all the way to Calvary and to die. For David serving God is the single focus, life commitment of his entire existence. Certainly this is growing. Certainly it ebbs and flows. You can read the Psalms. You see when he's struggling with this. You can see when he's preaching to his own heart. Hey soul, don't forget God. Soul, don't forget all that he's done for you. But he knows in his heart that the one thing he needs, the one thing that he needs is God. 
We also should remember that really our lives can be boiled down to just a very simple principle. Love God. Yes, love others. But if you love God, you will love others because the Scriptures tell you to love others. To run hard after God. To love God. A single focus on God. Everything else really does work out. If you focus on Jesus, if you focus on God. As you do that, you'll find that the struggles you face in life really take on a new meaning. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we should lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, spiritually, as we approach our our daily lives, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as we put off our sin, and as we pursue godliness by the Holy Spirit, as we do these things, our sanctification, we're to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on that one thing, on Jesus. We were speaking to my family recently about Uh, People who are struggling with sin. And they're struggling with a a sin that they just can't seem to shake loose. And if you ask, um, if you were, were to ask one of the apostles what they need to do to shake that sin loose, they would tell you to fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, we are, we're good at manipulating the the, the outward things, people struggling with pornography. Well, get this app that monitors your phone and make sure you always have someone in the room when you watch television and you have accountability partners and you do this and do that. Those are all good. But we shouldn't be, before long, if you keep on that road and that's all you think about, you're looking at Jesus through your sin. And that's a warped view of Christ. What he calls us to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus And let the sins be in the periphery. Yes, it's still a struggle, but you have to fix your eyes on Jesus first. So when it comes to our daily lives, as we seek to live for Christ, to love Him better, fixing our eyes only on Jesus, focusing on Christ alone, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, this is the way that we pursue godliness. This is the way that we pursue mortification of sin. This is the way that we grow in holiness. We look to Jesus. It seems like an easy answer. It seems like a pat answer. That's a pastor answer. You just look to Jesus. Well, it is, but it's true. Look to Jesus. Well, how do you look to Jesus? Every day. You spend time in His Word and in prayer. You ask the Holy Spirit to enliven this Word and all day to be thinking of it. You fill your brains throughout the day with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. You sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks to God for everything. 
It does something when you look to Jesus. When your one desire is God, as Paul's was. As David's was. Paul said in Romans 12, after talking about all the glories of the gospel, in Romans 12 verse 1, he starts all the application. He's been preaching indicative sermons up until... 11 verse 36, but then in 12 verse 1, he switches and he focuses on application. So you've been saved by God's grace. It's wonderful. It's glorious. Now here's what you do. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, His good and acceptable and perfect will. To offer your body as a living sacrifice, you have to be fully committed to Jesus. You have to have your eyes fixed on Jesus if this is ever going to be possible. The Holy Spirit has to enable it because you cannot do it. You don't have it in you. It is not possible to be a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were killed before they were put on the altar for a reason. Because they squirm off. And God calls us to be living sacrifices. But how does He call us to do this? Seeking after this one thing that David sought after. We're to take up our cross and follow Him. We're to die every day. The illumination of the Holy Spirit should make the Word of God powerful in your lives as you seek to do this. We see the result in David's life. His love for God caused him to love God's commands. His love for God changed his view of the law. He had a desire to keep the commandments of God. Particularly that there would be no other gods before him. There would only be one God in his life. And he was going to run after this God. He should love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We see this in this psalm. David is pursuing God with all of his heart. Jesus taught much the same. We read in Matthew 13. As he's describing the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is something that everyone who has faith is part of. If you have faith in Christ, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus tells us what happens in our hearts when the Spirit rips apart our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. What happens to us? It's like we've found a treasure in a field. And in our joy, we go and we sell everything that we have so we can buy that field. This is what happens when God saves us. Nothing else seems to matter. And the more we pursue God, the less things seem to matter. Things on this earth fall to the side. He says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding the one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. When Jesus changes you, everything you desire is wrapped up in God. 
This is what we see David saying. He has one thing, one thing that he seeks. And it's Yahweh, it's the Lord. But specifically, that he might dwell in the house of the Lord. So he, he kind of nugs it down a little bit. He says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To inquire in His temple. To dwell in the house of the Lord. Especially after this morning. It just struck me. Every time I see it now, it's like I'm excited. Because it's, it's a constant theme. That God calls us to dwell with Him. And it's our desire to dwell with Him. This was initial purpose in creation was to dwell in communion with God and then it's going to be the final result of all things we're going to live in perfect communion with God for this reason Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 I would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord this is all of our hearts cry when we understand what God is we want like David to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives it's not talking about Church in particular. He's talking about being with God forever and ever and ever. To see God in all His beauty. To be with Him always. And this is the highest desire of every son of God. Every daughter of God. To see with Him. To be with Him. In 2 Corinthians 5, he also Paul says that we have a house. When we die, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It seems like Paul has read this psalm, speaking of our eternal glory as a house. You see, David has an eternal hope. David, Old Testament David, a thousand plus years before Christ, he has an eternal hope. At the end of the psalm, he says, I know that I will see God in the land of the living. I will. He knows God is in heaven, and he knows he will someday be there. And he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The best description I've ever read of the house of the Lord, outside of the, the major prophets, is Revelation chapter 21. I saw the new heaven and the new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into, into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life, that's twelve kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his slaves will worship him. They will see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits, the prophets of the prophets has sent his angel to show his slaves what must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. So you can see why David would be excited to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Just to see Jesus, to be with him, to gaze upon his beauty. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts as well to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to see His beauty? Let's just talk about that for a moment. To gaze upon the beauty of God is to see His holiness, to see all of His perfections. He's pure and without blemish. To be holy means set apart. He's completely different from anything of us. Everything we have is tainted, is warped, is bent. Everything about God is perfect. It's holy. It's pure. And every attribute is without defect, perfect in power, knowledge, glory, love, righteousness, justice, mercy, and wisdom. It's all the holy God. Stephen Charnock said, Holiness is His beauty the crown of all of his attributes, the life of all his decrees, the brightness of all his actions. Remember what happens whenever David says he longs to gaze at God. He longs to be with God, to gaze upon his beauty. What happens when someone sees God? 
anywhere in the Scriptures. They fall flat on their faces. They say, I'm not worthy to be here. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Moses, when he saw the bush, was told to take off his shoes. Why? The place where you are standing is holy ground. It's sanctified. It's different. When Joshua saw the angel of the Lord, the commander of the armies of the Lord, as he crossed into the promised land, he fell on his face before him. He worshipped. Gideon was surprised that after seeing the angel of the Lord, he was able to live. Why is that? It's because God is holy and we are not. To inquire in his temple should be all of our desires. Yes, we want to be with our Father in heaven forever. We want to be with the Son of God forever. We want the fullness of the Spirit to enliven us forever. But the wonderful news is even now we can begin. Even now this is our inheritance. It is ours We may not fully grasp it, and certainly we will not. But we can see it from a distance. We can know God as he's revealed in his word. You see, the fall, which broke union with man and God, is being reversed because of Christ. So David's desire to see God, to dwell with God, was actually beginning. The beginning of that fulfillment was Jesus. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To gaze upon God's beauty, to know God, to dwell with God forever all the days of your life, it starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. But we have a problem. We've traded the glory of God, the immortal God, for images made by man. Romans one twenty three. Our gaze often is not on Jesus. All of us should be striving every day, praying and pleading with the Holy Spirit to to make us faithful, to give us a desire to pray, to give us a desire for His Word, to give us a desire to please God, because these things are not in us of ourselves. But the Holy Spirit will never fail to answer that prayer. If that is your desire to please God, to desire God more, to love Him more, The Holy Spirit will always answer that prayer. Why would he not? You too should have a single-minded focus for Jesus the way David did. Pursue Jesus the way David did. Pursue Almighty God. Make that your only desire in life. One thing, he said, I will seek. One thing I will ask of God. You know, it reminds me of the old cartoons where Aladdin had this lamp. And the person that found it, what? They got one wish. One wish. And I remember as a kid, oh, what would my wish be? Well, I would, I would ask for a million dollars because then I could do that and I would have that and do that. All of us are kind of still like that. You think God is desiring to give you one thing and the one thing, if, if that were yours right now, you probably wouldn't say, I want to be closer to Jesus. The things that come to our mind are, are different. It's like the paralytic laying there on the ground. And Jesus walked up to him and he didn't say, get up. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Jesus knew the one thing he needed, and it wasn't that he could walk again. David knew the one thing that he needed as well. It was to be with the Lord, to pursue the Lord all the days of his life, to to dwell in the house of the Lord. This should be the one thing we seek as well. And when we pursue the Lord, certainly he will hide us under his shelter in the day of trouble. Certainly he will lift us high upon a rock. Certainly our enemies will no longer matter. Our losses and our crosses in this life will cease to matter for someone who loves Jesus. And we will pray like David in confident confidence that our God will answer us. He will hear us and protect us. We said that the ultimate answer to David's prayer to seek God began to be changed for all of humanity when Christ came. Finally, we were able to be with God. Finally, we could go to the throne of God. The curtain was torn from top to bottom when Christ died. Symbolic of us approaching the throne of God. Being able to pray to God as imperfectly as we do, we still do. So as we approach the the Lord's table at this time, let us pause for a moment of prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you and we praise you for bringing us to yourself. We pray that like David, our gaze would be fixed upon you. Like David, we would cherish nothing. We would ask nothing except to be with you in your temple, to gaze upon your beauty all the days of our lives. That Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, and resurrected, that the man Jesus, the God-man, who reigns forever and ever, that he would be our, our only hope, our only joy, our only comfort. As we approach your table, Lord, help us, encourage us, and strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, 